what I was asked to do tonight was to share with you for just a few minutes uh, a journey that the Lord has taken me on uh, with uh, in, in no sense, uh, uh, no inkling of imagination is this uh, designed except to lift up the Lord that we share. Uh, I, I, like m- many of you, have, have known him for a long time. That was not the case with, with me. Uh, I grew up in a, in a home that was church, but did not know what a personal relationship with God through Christ meant. It, it just wasn't something that, that I was exposed to. It wasn't until college that I had the privilege of, of coming to know Jesus in a personal way, of becoming a follower of, of Christ. Uh, and, and that... Uh, Experience of coming to know Him personally changed my life radically. And I thought, I want to be involved in missions. That was all I thought about. It was all I wanted to do. And through my college career, Barb and I grew in our faith together. And then at the end of college, we applied to a couple of sending organizations. And we met with them, and they turned us down. Then I applied to seminary. They never answered. And then I got a letter of acceptance to medical school. And I thought, well, I guess that's going to be the third place. Maybe I'll just go there and learn some first aid until I get to go to the mission field. And then after medical school and residency... Uh, I needed to spend some time in rural rural health, rural health service, and so the Lord appointed us to go to this little town in North Carolina, Bryson City, North Carolina, a town of 900, had 38 Baptist churches. <laughs> every creek had one, every holler had one, every ridge had one. In, in fact, I was telling Judy, I said. They had the, the county commissioners heard a resolution when we lived there that if you put a church on property, you had to put it in a double-wide trailer. And the reason was when the church split, they could each take half. Because <laughs> this is what happened. And the Lord sent us out there, and I must tell you, I had difficulty with that decision. We thought, well, there are so many other places that would be better to serve in missions. We could go to Africa or Southeast Asia or, or Lord, we could go to India. Well, He sent us to Bryson City. And it was there that He chose to begin to meet me and greet me into raising me into a person who could be a missionary wherever He planted me. Kind of started this way. In that little town, there were only seven docks. And so when you took call, you took call for everything. You took call for your practice and everybody else's practice. You took call for the ER and the hospital and the nursing home and the rest home and the city jail and the sheriff's office and the National Park Service. You did it all. You were the coroner. Before you could practice there, you had to go take a weekend training course on how to be a coroner. You didn't do the autopsies, but you had to do all the, the evidence stuff. So started practice on a Monday, and Wednesday night was my first night on call. And i got to tell you, I was just a little bit nervous about it. 
And the way they, they worked the deal was if somebody called and needed the doctor, they had this little medical exchange, and they'd route the call to them. And so got home from the office and had dinner with uh, Barb and our little daughter, Kate, and there was no phone calls. And, and after dinner, we had some family time together, and there were no phone calls. And got into the evening, and there were no phone calls. And gave Kate her bath and put her to bed and had prayer time with her, and there were no phone calls. And then Barb and I went to bed, and as our habit, we always pray together before we go to sleep. And we did that, and there were no phone calls. And I, and I went to sleep. And then a phone call came in. It was like dark 30. And I picked up the phone, and this voice on the other end said, You the new doctor? I said, Yes, sir, I am. He says, You better get up here. She's going to deliver. I said, Sir, you don't know. But the hospital just built a birthing unit. We have a one-bed birthing unit. We have the smallest birthing unit in the world. (laughs) But you can bring her, and it'll be the first delivery at Swain County General Hospital in over 25 years. You come on down, I'll meet you there. He said, she ain't coming there. You're coming up here. And I said, well, you can't get her in the car. He said, son, I don't have a car. I have a truck. <laughs> and she don't get in no truck. You need to come up here. Well, figured at least I could go up and evaluate the situation. So I said, where do you live? And he it was kind of a pause. I could almost hear, carpe duh. He said, well, son, I live on Schoolhouse Hill. And I said, well, where's that? And there was a longer pause. And he said, well, you're on Hospital Hill. You just drive down. And you cross the river. And you go up Schoolhouse Hill. And I'll have the light on. I'll be waiting. And he hung up. <laughs> I got on. I put on my scrubs. And I got my little black bag. And I went out to my little yellow Toyota Corolla car. We call it the Toyota Crayola car. And I got in and I drove down Schoolhouse Hill and I was crossing the river. And you know what I thought? This is the truth. You know what I thought? I said, I should have told him to start boiling some water. I don't know why. But in every movie, they boil water. And there's got to be a reason. I, I bet he thinks I'm dumb. Went up Schoolhouse Hill and started looking around and found a little farmhouse off to the off the road. Front porch was light was on. I drove up and here's a fella sitting in overalls, chewing on a straw, rocking in a rocker. I thought I was going to hear the music from Deliverance, but he's just a rocking. And he came down the steps and I got out of the car and I stuck my hand out to meet him and he walked right past me. He said, "Follow me." And we walked around the front of the house and around the back towards the back of the house, and we're heading towards the barn. And you know what I thought? And this is the truth. I thought, he got his daughter pregnant. He got his daughter pregnant. My first delivery in Bryson City, North Carolina, is going to be an incestuous child. It's going to ruin my reputation. That's what I was thinking. Until I heard my first obstetrical patient in private practice, in the middle of a contraction, as he opened that barn door, I heard her scream. And I walked in the door, and I was looking at the south end of a northbound cow with two hooves coming out of her end. 
Now, mind you, I grew up in the city. I'm not a, I'm not a farm boy. But I looked at that and I said, that's a bull. He said, that's not no bull, son. I said, but I'm a doctor. I'm not a vet. I didn't know then that the doctors in that town did all the vet work. Nobody told me that. There wasn't a vet for 40 miles. I said, but I'm a doctor. And he looked at me. And in one of the greatest compliments that I've been given in 30 years of the profession, he said, son, even you can do this. (laughs) He had put her in a headlock and taken off his shirt and had begun soaping up one of his arms. And he said, all you got to do is operate to come along. And there I saw it, a rope going from the, the south end of that northbound cow all the way over to the other wall, connected with a eye bolt. And in the middle was this pump that's come along. And he took that, that rope and he wrapped it around the, the hooves of that little calf. He put a, a towel first and then he put the rope. And he said, start pumping. And, and I got down and I started pumping. And as you do that, it kind of tightens up, and it began to lift off of the floor. And I just kept pumping. I said, I'm doing right. He said, you're doing good. He said, I told you even you could do that. And I'm pumping that thing up, and it's getting tighter and tighter. And he's got that washed-up arm inside that cow, and he's manipulating the head of that cow to help deliver that calf. And the calf starts coming out. And you know what I thought? This is the truth. I thought, we could do this in the delivery room. I mean... <laughs> Just need an eye bolt. It's easier in forceps. And I, I, I really thought that. But just at that instant, thank goodness, he goes, let her get loose. Let her loose. Let her loose. So I let her loose. He says, come on over here. And so I came on over there and he says, you deliver her. And so here comes this calf. And so she just came on out. And, and I'm thinking, you know, 15 pounds. I wasn't thinking 65 pounds. But that calf came out, and and when she came out, I I just couldn't even hold the calf, and boom, we both went to the ground. This slimy calf laid out on, 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 on my lap, and then the horror of the moment hit, because that calf was not breathing. Oh, you weren't there. I mean, how do you do calf CPR, you know? I, I had no idea. But, but he was calm. He let the mama out of the headlock and she spun around. She started licking that baby and that baby just snorted. Just snot went everywhere. And all over me. And that little calf, that calf jumped up and started breathing and, and I started breathing. And that old farmer took his, his hand and he, he reached down and gave me his hand and he, he lifted me up. And he gave me a hug. And he said, thank you for giving me life. And I was confused. Thank you for giving me life. And he said, out here we believe all life is sacred. And you help me give life. Well, next day I was in the office and Helen, the nurse there, she had been in Bryson City since before there was dirt. That's how old she was. 
when I first started that practice, it's the truth. She, she came up and greeted me and she said, there's only two words you have to know to work here, Sonny. And that's yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. And, but anyway, Helen came and she said, listen, there's a couple out in the waiting room who wants to see you. And I said, well, are the exam rooms full? Can I just see them? She says, no, get out there. They're out in the waiting room. So I walked out in the waiting room, and here was this tall, thin fella, all dressed up with a tiny little lady next to him. It took me just a minute to realize it was that farmer from the night before, all cleaned up. And he stuck his hand out and greeted it, and he said, I don't believe I introduced myself. He said, my name's Clem. This is my wife, Doris, and we come to thank you for last night. He said... I do not know when I'll be able to pay you, but I will. I thought to myself, well, I do not know how to charge you, (laughs) but I will. (laughs) And she said, Clem, tell him, tell him. And Clem said, well, he said, I just want you to know we named that calf after you. And I thought, I mean, stars were in my eyes. I thought, the doctor, (laughs) Professor Laramore. He said, yeah, we named her Walter. (laughs) My first patient in private practice was a, was a prime imp double footling breech named Walter. But, but it was part of my education of a worldview that saw all life as sacred. All life is sacred. And my, le- my next lesson in that journey was when um, we were pregnant with our, our second child. Um, and because our, our oldest baby, Kate, had uh, cerebral palsy, they were following our second pregnancy as a high-risk pregnancy. And they had started with a new technology back then. Now, I'm dating myself, but they started with a new technology called ultrasound. And they decided they were going to ultrasound this, this baby fairly regularly. And so uh, it was our, either our second or third ultrasound, and we were at the, at the hospital getting ultrasound. And uh, when the ultrasonographer, when Sally was doing the ultrasound, she said something that absolutely stunned me. She said, what a beautiful little person. Now, I'm sure if I'd have thought about it, that that it wouldn't have surprised me. It's just I'd never thought about that. I had been trained in an environment in which uh, the fetus was the fetus and the products of conception were the products of conception. I, I knew that it was a baby. I knew that it was a child. I had just never thought about he or she being a person. Just hadn't thought about it. And I know I must have looked confused because Sally said, I guess you haven't read much theology, have you? I said, well, I, I actually have read some theology. She said, oh, no. She said, you have not read the theologian, Seuss. I said, the theologian Seuss? She says, yes, Dr. Seuss. You have not read Dr. Seuss. I said, well, some. I know Cat in the Hat. She says, but do you know Horton? I said, well, I hadn't heard that one. She said, oh, she said, Dr. Laramore. 
She said, it's a wonderful story about an elephant that was bathing in a pool. And in front of Horton came a little speck of dust. And on that little speck of dust, Horton heard voices. And when Horton heard those voices, he said, and then she kind of deepened her voice. And word for word, she quoted this theologian, Dr. Seuss. I say how amazing. I've never heard tell of a tiny little speck that's able to yell. So you know what I think? I think there must be a person on that tiny little speck. A tiny little person quaking with fear. Alone in the universe with no way to steer. So you know what I'll do? I'll just have to save him. Because after all, a person's a person, no matter how small. She was the second professor in this course of a biblical worldview of the sanctity of human life. That all life is sacred, but human life with the image of God contains a personhood that is unique. And unique from the moment of conception. With his or her own fingerprints and own DNA that no other person will ever have. And I fell in love in an even more special way with that little person. She began to to move. We named her. She began to grow. And subsequent ultrasounds began to get bigger and bigger. And I loved her desperately. One day I was in the office in the afternoon and Barb called and she said, "Um, Honey, can I come over? I said, Sure. I'm I'm kind of busy. What's going on? She said, Our baby hasn't moved all day. She came over and we checked the fetal heart rate and there was none. We rushed over to the hospital and there was no heart rate and there was no movement. This little one that I had loved so desperately, longed for, looked forward to, named, was no more. Rick uh, watched Barb overnight, did serial HCGs to confirm that she was gone, and the next morning uh, made a decision uh, to do a DNC. And so they took her, and um, after Barb uh, recovered a little bit from anesthesia, I took her across the street to to our home and put her to bed and, uh, and just went into the living room. I, I couldn't understand why. God, it, 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 if she has your image... If she's a person, if she is so wanted, why would you take her? Why would you do this? And I cursed my father. I fumed, I wrestled. And he was quiet. He said nothing. 
And after I fought with him for a little bit, I sat down in a little chair that had become my quiet time chair. And as I was wont to do when confused or frustrated or angry or not knowing what to do, I just began to search his word. I don't remember where I went in his word, but what I do remember was walking away from that time, understanding that God is good, that he is right, that he is righteous, that his love for us knows no bounds. And in all that he does, all that he allows or all that he causes, whether good or bad, if we love him and are called according to his purpose, he works it for good. And I remember putting my my Bible down and dissolving in tears at the recognition of who he is. And I had a most interesting experience because I felt arms come around me. I had the feeling of being enveloped in arms. I had the feeling, the sense that I was sitting in a lap. That I was being caressed and comforted by someone who loved me. Someone who understood pain. God taught me that all life is sacred. That human life is personhood. And into that personhood, from conception to natural death, He cares, irrespective of the length of that life. Let me tie a ribbon on this story by telling you about Danny. Other than going to the Baptist church in town, the most important social activity in Bryson City was Friday night football games. This is a town of 900 people that had a stadium that set 4,500 people (laughs) and was sold out every week during the season. When I delivered a little baby boy in the nursery, a Swain County Maroon Devil football uniform was delivered to the baby. And a little football. And if I delivered a little girl, then a Swain County Maroon Devil cheerleader outfit was delivered to the nursery with a little pom-pom. The little boys started learning the offense and defensive schemes when they were in the first grade. And the little girls started learning the cheers in the first grade. And they were groomed through the farm system until they got to the professional level in the ninth grade. Well, Danny, as a, as a little boy, was a, a prodigy of an athlete, both in baseball and in football. As he began to go through the, the first, second, third, fourth, and on up to the sixth grade levels, it was clear that he was the future of Swain County athletics. Until as a seventh grader on the pitching mound, he threw a pitch, and there was a, 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 a sound that was heard that echoed across the baseball field, and he fell to the ground writhing in pain. They brought him to the ER, and I met him there. And when we x-rayed his arm, he had a mid-shaft fracture of the humerus. And it wasn't the fracture that disturbed me. What it was was the moth-eaten look around that fracture. And I knew that Danny had uh, either a cyst or a cancer. 
And we biopsied it, and it was an osteosarcoma. It was a cancer. Uh, at that time, the only treatment available was amputation of the extremity. Now, this little boy grew up different than I grew up because from the cradle, he knew Jesus. As a tiny little boy, he memorized large portions of Scripture. As a uh, first and second grader, he led his Sunday school classes. He had just this remarkable and special relationship with the Lord. Whenever I would see him, he would give me scripture me- scripture memory assignments, <laughs> and if 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 I followed up, I had to know the word perfect, King James only. <laughs> After a while, I'd say, maybe you should come back and see Rick, and he'd say, No, Doctor Wald, I gave you the assignment. I need to see. You. So his arm was amputated, and uh, little Danny said. God is good. And this is good. And it may not be what I wanted, but it's what He wanted. And that's good enough for me. And so I got to watch him over the next couple of years of growth until he came into the emergency room one night with severe chest pain. And we took a chest x-ray and he had several fractured ribs where the tumor had come back, did a, a body a bone series, and he had metastasis in several bones throughout the body. The Duke Cancer Center tried some chemotherapy, but it was not effective, and he was sent home um, to die. Danny was the first child that I had in hospice as a, as a little boy. And I would go over once or twice a week to, to visit with him. I remember the last time that I saw him, he had been in coma for a week or ten days. He, was having, he had a morphine drip to keep, him, to keep him comfortable, but I would still go by because... My belief was that even in coma, people hear us. My belief was that, that even in coma, we can minister to and hold and touch and be felt by and be, be heard by the spirit of the person. And so I, that's what I would do. I would go by and I would talk with him and I would tell him what was going on and I would pray with him. That night I walked into his room and he, honest to goodness, he looked like an 85-year-old man. He was just skin and bones. His hair was gone. Uh, he was uh, taunt and, and, and pale. And uh, I sat down by him. Above his head was a, a Swain County Maroon Devil football poster. And all the, all the kids had signed it, the poster. And next to him was a football, and Coach Dietz, the, the football coach, had, had signed the ball, said to Danny, get well soon. I need you, Coach Dietz. And, and then uh, on the other wall was a, a poster from the University of Tennessee football team. Uh, and all the kids on the team had signed the poster to Danny. I looked at those posters and uh, took his hand, and I thanked the Lord for, for my, my friend Danny. And then I prayed that his passing would be peaceful. As I was praying that out loud, that Danny, that, that Danny's passing would be peaceful, he squeezed my hand. And I looked up and his eyes were wide open. And he was fully alert. And he said, it will be. I said, Danny, you're, you're awake. And he said, well, yes, I'm awake. And I said, how are you feeling? And he said, well, I, I'm pretty groggy from the drip, but I'm, I'm not feeling any pain. 
And he said, and I know I won't be here much longer. But Dr. Walt, I know where I'm going. I said, where? He looked at me like I had two heads. He said, I am going to heaven. I said, how do you know? He was quiet for just a second. And then he said, because Azar told me so. Now, this kid knew Scripture, and I didn't. I'm thinking, that must be one of them prophets. <laughs> I never heard of him, but he must be in there somewhere. He said, you don't know Azar? And I said, well, Danny, I don't. He said, oh, Dr. Walt, he said, Azar is my guardian angel. Azar comes here, and Azar sits with me. And we talk about heaven. I said, what does he look like? He said, he's big and he's strong and he has long golden hair and he carries a large sword and he sets it on the bed by me. He lets me hold his sword. And I said, well, what does it feel like? And he said, oh, it's warm like he is. Azar is my angel and my family's angel. And it is Azar who says he will take me to heaven. And that's how I know. It took me back for a minute to my medical school days when one of my professors, Jim Up, a pediatrician with a deep faith in God. And I was rounding with Dr. Up on uh, children pediatric cancer oncology ward one day, and one of the kids talked about talking to Jesus. I was a, a new Christian at the time, but that certainly wasn't part of my experience as a Christian. And as we were leaving the bedside, I said, well, boy, that must be some sort of hallucinosis. And Dr. Up looked at me and he said, no, sir. He said, what I have found as a pediatrician is that special needs children, the children with Downs or the children with genetic disorders or the children who are terminal, have an ability to see and hear and talk to angels. They have an ability to see and hear and talk to the Lord that, that, that we just don't seem to have as as adults, but they have it. But I had never experienced it until this night when Danny's telling me about his guardian angel and how that angel has assured him that at his passing, he will carry him over. But I'm sure the disbelief must have permeated my face. And Danny said, you haven't met him? I said, not that I remember he said, that's very interesting. <laughs> and I said, why is that very interesting? He said, well, because he says he's your guardian angel too. 
And he is your wife's. And he is Kate's. I said nothing. I, I just was I mean, I heard about guardian angels. I just didn't know you shared them. <laughs> he said yes. In fact, he said... He said, Azar was with you. The night that you lost your baby, it was Azar who took your baby to heaven. The night that you lost your baby, it was Azar who laid by your wife to hold her as she wept. The night you lost your baby was the night that Azar was there when you cursed God. It was Azar who was there when you read God's Word. It was Azar who held you. Nobody knew that. Barb didn't know that. Rick didn't know that. Nobody, nobody, nobody knew that. Azar knew it. I've never met him. But he that Azar serves counts all life as sacred. He who Azar serves counts little baby children as persons no matter how small. He who Azar serves has a plan for each step of our life. Now I tell you all of that to tell you this. In the next couple of days, you have a remarkable opportunity to meet this Creator in a new way. You have a unique opportunity to make a choice at this time. If this is the middle, you choose. Do you want to be His or do you want to be of the world? Do you want to be a missionary? For if not, you will choose to be a mission field. And you cannot be both. Will you choose to abide in Him in such a way that you know the truth and the truth will set you free? Or will you choose the captivity of flesh and the world and Satan? Will you choose to abide in Him that He might bear fruit in and through you? Or will you choose to be cut off of the vine and cast off? Will you choose to be salt that is flavorful and attractive and preserving wherever you're planted? Or will you choose to be tasteless and cast underfoot? Will you choose to be a lamp on a lampstand that is attractive to all who see your good work and glorify your Father who is in heaven? Or will you choose to hide your light 
under a bushel basket. You see, wherever He leads you, wherever He calls you, wherever He draws you, wherever He places you, wherever He plants you, He will use you, not only as a change agent, but as a distribution point for His grace. And no matter how dark the valley or how far away the land, whether it be domestic or international, where He calls you to practice the gifts that He has given and develops in you, He will bear fruit in and through you. What an opportunity that you'll have in breakout sessions and in plenary sessions to, by the final session, make a commitment. What will you learn about this magnificent Creator and the work to which He's calling you? How will He change your prayer? Are you willing to go wherever, whenever, Will you support others and seek their support for what He calls you to? What a magnificent opportunity that we have. The Creator who gives you a worldview, He gives not to people who don't know Him. That life is sacred. That personhood is so special that the triune God calls that to itself. That you are so critical to Him that He gave His Son for you. And He calls you to serve Him that through you He might call others to Himself. For as you lift Him up, Jesus says, He will call all men to Himself. What an opportunity. And my prayer and the prayer of those who have organized this conference is that you would meet your Father here in a new and special way. That you would be encouraged by Him and the speakers and other attendees that you run into who are not accidental, coincidental meetings, but divine appointments used by the Father of drawing you to His work. How will you answer? What will you choose? Will you choose life? Will you choose death? Let me pray for you. Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters to you who stand on the edge of a wonderful opportunity of hearing your call for them in health care missions. Father, I pray that these next two days that there would be a hedge of protection, that their guardian angels would protect them from the enemy who despises the fact that they're here. Father, protect them. May they come to see you and know you in a new way. May their decisions to abide in you allow you to bear fruit even now in them and through them. And for what you're going to do in them, what you're going to accomplish through them, for these things I thank you now in faith And in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. You are dismissed, and may these next two days be a blessing for each of you.